Good morning, church family. Good morning. Uh, please turn in your Bibles once again to the book of Jude. We're in uh, Jude 5. It's kind of weird, these, these one-chapter books, you know, it's, but it's, it's Jude 5. So this is the letter, once again, that was written by the half-brother of Jesus Christ after said half-brother came to faith in the Lord because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And I suppose that the title of today's message might come across as kind of maybe a little bit provocative, um, but there is, there is definitely a reality to this, okay? Jude is very clearly written to the church, but he still spends the majority of his ink in this zeal-filled tirade against the wicked. It's kind of a diatribe, and it's, it, it's really... Uh, a lot of interesting stuff. And so today's passage is just one verse. is part of that long rant. And, there, and there's so much in this one verse that's going to be our entire text uh, from Jude this morning. So the question that I would like to ask you is, friends, how can a person avoid being destroyed? How can a person avoid being destroyed? We all know the short answer, right? Obviously, it's Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the answer. So he's, he's the answer to a lot of questions, uh, especially in church. Uh, but what's really intense about this is Jesus may also be the answer to how to be destroyed. Now, if that's confusing, don't worry. We're going to see how this works out in just a few minutes. But for right now, we're going to take verse 5 of the book of Jude, which was written in the first century A.D., and try to follow the Holy Spirit's theme here. And then, and then hopefully... Uh, we're going to see what God is saying to us through this verse that was written nearly 2,000 years ago, but right here today in McKinney, Texas in 2023, okay? So let's open with prayer, and we'll take a deep look here at uh, verse 5. God, I look forward to preaching this, uh, this message. Father, it's, it's been on my heart. It's been uh, something I'm excited because, Lord, um, while I do believe in assurance of salvation, I also believe we get awfully comfortable in it sometimes. We need a, a kick in the pants. And so, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name for every single person here, every person that's listening online, every person that will hear later, I ask, Father, that you might give us what we need in order to recognize the necessity, the necessity of leaning into you. Father, help us not to take salvation for granted. I pray, Lord, that you open our eyes to your truth and that the word that is planted takes deep, deep root and bears mucho fruit. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, Jude says, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. It's the word of the Lord right there. I'm going to read it one more time. Now, I might... Excuse me. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Now, this here sounds like Jude is really concerned that people be tracking with what he is saying. Okay? He's convinced of its importance and, and that it is, at a bare minimum, an issue of life and death. And possibly more. You know, imminent destruction is a sobering topic, right? 
So instead of diving immediately into the subject matter, Jude sets us up for his readers the necessity of remembrance. Anybody know what remembrance means? To remember, right? Sure, remembering something. Yeah, it's easy, right? Remembrance is the process of recalling something to mind. Okay? Jude starts the verse with the phrase, now I want to remind you. And so based on what, what we just said right off the bat, we can know about, uh, we can know about what he's, he, he's, he's coming to here even before he finishes the sentence because he's about to say something the readers already know. Okay? Now Jude isn't going to be covering any new ground here in what he's about to say. Rather, he is, he is re-emphasizing something that his audience is already familiar with. But that is okay, friends. Okay? Because there are some incredibly important things that we need to remember as Christians. These things need to be front and center in our minds and in our hearts. And as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I, I would say that reminding Christians is par for the course. In fact, preaching, in, in the sense that we think of it from the pulpit in a church, uh, it's been described as mainly just reminding people of what they already know. Now, in the biblical sense, uh, preaching is how we translate the, the Greek word keruso, um, which, which means to proclaim. It's usually in the evangelistic sense, but when a pastor is teaching the church, meaning teaching saved Christians, the main body of whatever it is that we say is going to be stuff that you already, hopefully, know. Now, particularly, the, the good news of Jesus and how he saves us by grace through faith in him and how it is his sacrificial death on the cross that paid for our sins and that he rose from the dead. But even the secondary teachings, you know, some, sometimes even, even tertiary teachings, there's stuff that a majority of y'all could probably take a test on and you would pass, okay? So why is it so vitally important? Why, why is it so necessary to keep repeating it. I think we get a hint in the next phrase that Jude writes. He says, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. Hmm. Let's think about that for a second. It sounds kind of like a, like a backhanded sort of way to, to say that whatever he's, you know, fitting to say is, is something that his audience did know, but maybe doesn't fully know anymore. Now, how does that work? Maybe. Uh, you know, I think if, we're, if we are honest with ourselves, I think we'd agree that we Christians tend to be super forgetful. Especially when it comes to spiritual things. You say, well, how's that? Just a little while ago, I asked the question, what is the short answer to how not to be destroyed? And we knew the answer, right? We said Jesus, okay? But sometimes we don't remember in the biblical sense, okay? And, and here's what I mean by that. Sometimes it doesn't seem like we fully know something because we're not treating that knowledge in the proper way. I want to ask you, when was the last time that you you were doing something that you knew was stupid, but you did it anyway. 
<laughs> Revelation 21.8, buddy. Oh, boy. Yeah, you should look that up. Um, why'd you do that? That's the question. You know, why, why did you do that stupid thing? There have been times where I've been, I've been using a certain tool, and then, like, I realized I have another tool that would work much better for this job. I work on guitars a lot in my office upstairs. And, and, and I go, man, you know, it'd be really nice if I just had that 11 millimeter wrench, but man, it's all the way downstairs, you know? And it would take me at least 40 seconds to walk down to my garage, find that tool, and fetch it and come back up. But, but I spend five or 10 minutes doing it the hard way with the tool that I have. It makes no sense at all. I'm not sure whether it's just stubbornness or if I'm being lazy or what, but, but I think we approach our spiritual life in very much the same way. How often, how often have you said to yourself, I know that I need to get up 15 minutes earlier to spend a little time in the Word before I start my day, but you haven't yet. Or maybe um, you thought about turning off the radio when you're driving to work to spend some time in prayer. Or one of a thousand other things. You know, maybe you planned on committing weekly to attending church or to quit a sinful habit or you vowed to reconnect with that loved one that you've estranged yourself from. You know, you, you've had opportunity, right? Right? So why is it so hard in the moment to make that connection? It's like we have a, a powerful enemy that doesn't want us to grow any closer to one another or to our Heavenly Father. An enemy that still tries to do everything that he can to make us stumble, to make us ineffective, to ruin our witness. So we need the reminders because we forget much too easily, which has apparently always been the issue with God's people. Let's keep reading. That Jesus, pause there again. Aren't you glad we read those two words? That Jesus, th this is interesting. Most of the manuscripts that we have today, the, the Greek manuscripts, actually have the word kurios in there, which is the word for Lord. But some, a very few, have the name Jesus. And for whatever reason, the translators of the ESV decided to go with the minority text here. But, but let's consider the ramifications, okay? Either way, because, because of God's triune nature, the word Lord or even God, if not specified as the Father, would include Jesus anyway, Right? Okay, so while Jesus is the means by which those who have faith are saved, he has another role in the preservation of a people for himself, which involves not only inclusion, but also exclusion as well. And this is the stuff that, that we, don't, we don't hear about as often today because people tend to emphasize God's love and mercy, but, but downplay his justice and his righteous anger against sin. But for the moment, let's do focus on his saving power. Okay? Jude is pointing out not only to remembrance, but also to reliance. Now, you might notice we live in a time where a good part of society values self-sufficiency, or, or at least claims to, right? Because unless you actually live like you know, Jeremiah Johnson off the land, off the side of a mountain, you're probably dependent somehow on someone else. You're kind of cheating. But self-sufficiency isn't real. 
It isn't real. Okay? Self-sufficiency can't happen because God created us. You know, it, it, it wasn't intended for mankind to be self-sufficient. He, he created us to live in community with one another. And even if you say, I, I, can, I can eschew the community, well, guess what? You are still requiring God's grace every moment of every day. We are absolutely dependent on God, whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, we are dependent on God. Without his power sustaining creation, we would be like that sweater in an old cartoon, you know, where it just unravels. You just keep pulling the thread. It would just come apart, back into chaos. But there is a huge difference in how that dependence, how that reliance is perceived, okay? Because a person who rejects the gospel, they might think that their life depends on luck or even on, on their own skill, right? And if they believe in an afterlife, they may, they may think that, that they rely on themselves to save themselves. Well, that is not the case. Certainly not so for the child of God. Our confidence is in the Lord. And by God's grace, we have had our eyes opened to seeing the truth of our predicament. Children of God are blessed to know that we are wholly incapable of saving ourselves. And so we cast ourselves on God's mercy, which is great. You know, we, we also, we see that trying to protect ourselves or, or provide for ourselves outside of God's grace is fruitless. So we can only cooperate with God's grace. And thank God, you know, praise the Lord. We cooperate with his grace. And we thank him for sending the son. And we, and we thank him for, for the spirit that inhabits us and that provides us with, with the capability to continue to walk in his will. All of these things are dependent on God. So Judah's pointing out, it was the Lord himself who saved a people out of the land of Egypt. Now, what's he referring to? The Exodus, yeah. Y'all, did you know that a particular event, God saving the Israelites out of Egypt, that is the most fundamental salvation story in the Old Testament? Did you know that? Other than creation itself, I don't think there's any other event before Christ came that's referred to as often in the rest of the Bible as the Exodus. This is a huge deal to the Jews from Moses on, okay? And for Old Testament believers, the Exodus was on par with, with the story of the resurrection of Christ for us. And there are quite a few parallels between the two, incidentally. Um, but Jude specifically mentions that Jesus saved a people, and this is reminiscent of 1 Peter 2. Remember, we're told that believers are a chosen people, right? A royal priesthood, a holy nation. Of course, we have a different kind of salvation. You know, the Israelites were saved from, from temporary oppression and from slavery. And, and that's, that's obviously not interchangeable with eternal salvation, okay? We need to be on the same page about that. But likewise, the word destroyed that's coming up, in context, refers to temporal destruction, to death. 
not necessarily eternal hell. We know this because Moses wasn't allowed to enter the promised land because he lost his cool. He rebelled against God, right? But we know from elsewhere in Scripture that Moses will be in heaven. In fact, he appears with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. However, saving and destroying here in this passage is a picture of what God would do with his people in the future. Okay? So Jude is drawing our attention to the fact of God's faithfulness and that he has proven his faithfulness in the past. Now, he has done this by relating to his people in powerful ways and by rescuing them from their enemies. The Exodus testifies to God's goodness. And there are multiple references to it throughout the Bible because it's, it's basically a watershed moment in the history of Israel. Um, but among the best of these references to me, okay, the one of the most thorough, is in Psalm 106. And it, it's so cool. It reads like a, like a Cliff's Notes version of Israel's history, uh, from really from Egypt all the way through the Babylonian captivity um, in nearly a, about 800 years, 1,000 years later. So I'm going to share some of it with you all. And, and, and after... After this magnificent introduction, we read it at the beginning of the, of the, the service, the wonderful first five, six verses, but then there's this, this tone that, that just changes. It gets a whole lot darker, and the psalmist writes, our fathers, when they were in Egypt, did not consider your wondrous works. They did not remember the abundance of your steadfast love, but rebelled by the sea, at, at the Red Sea. Um, What's he talking about? Do you remember? What's that? They were complaining. Yes. Why? After all they'd seen, they'd come up against the Red Sea, and, and they, they turn around and they start to go, oh, we're all going to die. Okay, these, these Israelites had just observed with their own eyes God decimating the land of Egypt. He had seen, they had seen him, him produce these, these plagues. Seven of these ten plagues were only on the Egyptians. you remember that? And by the way, each one of those plagues was kind of a slap in the face against the false gods of Egypt. You know, the sun god, Ra, you know, is darkened for three days. You know, I mean, all these, these things. So anyway, it's, it's Yahweh showing that he is totally dominating these imaginary false gods, but yet despite all that God showed his people, they still cried out in fear at the Red Sea, and they accused Moses of bringing them to their death. Anyway, yet he saved them for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it became dry, and led them through the deep as through a desert. So he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. And the waters covered their adversaries. Not one of them was left. Then they believed his words. <laughs> they sang his praise. Yeah, now, right? <laughs> after, after he's proved yet again that he's faithful to keep his promises, he, he told them through Moses, he said he was going to rescue them out of Egypt. And he did just what he said he was going to do. If only his people were half as faithful. If only we were half as faithful. 
And unfortunately, they weren't. And Jesus, who saved the people out of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. Friends, it makes perfect sense, okay, to scratch your head while you're reading this and think, how in the world could they possibly not believe after everything they had seen? You know, well, let's keep reading in Psalm 106. But they soon forgot, oh, right, his works. They did not wait for his counsel. In other words, they tried to forge their own path instead of letting God lead, okay? But they had a wanton craving in the wilderness. They put God to the test in the desert. He gave them what they asked, but sent a wasting disease among them. You remember that story? If you're not familiar with it, the Israelites started complaining about the fact that they didn't have all the yummy food they had back in Egypt, you know, when they were slaves. <laughs> oh, we wish we had onions and leeks and fish and blah. You know, and they were, they were demanding meat instead of just accepting this miraculous bread from heaven that God was sending them six days a week. And he's sending them enough for two days on the sixth day so they wouldn't have to gather on the Sabbath. This, this is such a total miracle. Their sense of entitlement is pretty strong, wouldn't you say? You know, all things considered. But even after God sent a plague to punish them, they kept rebelling. It says, when men in the camp uh, were jealous of Moses and Aaron the Holy One of the, of the Lord. The earth, such a great story. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. Fire also broke out in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. All that stuff is in Numbers. Numbers has a lot of mind-numbing stuff in there, you know, the lists. But man, there's some great stories. So if you want to find it later, um, it's, it's among all those family trees and whatnot. Uh, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Do you guys remember the golden calf? You remember this? And God was not happy. Therefore, he said he would destroy them had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. It's a cool story there. Moses, very much a prototype for Jesus. He offered to suffer on behalf of his people. You remember, he said, if you're going to remove them, then blot my name out of your book also. But God, he was getting tired of the people's stupid hearts and stubborn minds. And after a while, he decided that you know, they, they'd used up all their chances. <laughs> He'd given them chance after chance after chance to trust him and, and to do what he said, and they kept refusing, so he dropped the hammer on them. And this is how the, the psalmist explains it. He says, Then they despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. Do you remember this? After the spies came back from Canaan? Remember that? Ten men or twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. You remember? Right? Okay, so, so Joshua and Caleb faithfully argued for, for the, the, the invading of the land. Like They wanted to be obedient. They said, yeah, we can do this. God's with us. Let's invade the land. Right? But the other ten spies told the people, no, no, we'll be destroyed. If we enter the promised land, we're like grasshoppers to those people. You know? In fact, they were so... It got so ridiculous, they were so distraught, they were so faithless, they started talking about stoning the other two spies and Moses. 
God had enough. It says, therefore, he raised his hand and swore to them that he would make them fall in the wilderness and would make their offspring fall among the nations, scattering them among the lands. Okay. Basically, God said, fine. If that's what you want, only Joshua and Caleb are going to make it in the promised land, by the way, along with all your kids. But all of you men in this nation, from age 20 and up, y'all who despised my command, you're going to die in the desert. And guess what? That's exactly what happened, right? God, God did what he said he was going to do. So you might think, wow, Mark, that's so depressing. <laughs> you know, why, why, why? But this happened so long ago. You know, why is Jude even talking about, why, why does this matter to us? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, if you don't mind, flip with me to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10. Just want to read a, a few verses here for context before we answer that question, okay? Um, Moses uh, was with the Israelites in the desert, and Paul writes that, he, he talks about all these unifying experiences they had, how they, you know, uh, they were in the desert together, and they were baptized in, in, under the cloud and under Moses, and how they, they all drank from the same rock, which followed them through the wilderness, and he says that rock was Christ. What a cool, cool thing to say. Um, but anyway, after all this stuff, Paul writes, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That's what we've been talking about here. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Did you catch that? Okay. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. What, what's an idolater? Covetousness. It's someone who puts anything ahead of God. If you are worshiping something, venerating something besides the Lord, that is idolatry. We must not indulge, he says, in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. What, what is sexual immorality? It's any sexual relationship that is not between a man and a woman who are married to each other. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. You remember that? Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Oh, you mean God hates it when we people complain about how good a job he's doing as God? That's sarcasm. In case you didn't catch that. I mean, yeah, you know, and the point is reiterated here in verse 11. It says, now these things happen to them as an example. Bless you. And whoever did it over here also, bless you too. These things happen to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. This is so that God's people could see that the foolish and ignorant things the Israelite nation did and then what happened to them as a result. Folks, they are a cautionary tale for Christians now. So what is that supposed to, 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 to mean? Well, what are we supposed to learn from their mistakes, right? Well, it would be ideal if we did learn, right? Don't you think? If we would... If, there, if this was an example written down for our instruction. So we come back to Jews' reminder 
Jude's reminder that Jesus saved a, a people out of Israel, but later destroyed them because of their unbelief. If you're the type of person that can learn from someone else's mistakes, raise your hand. If you're a person who has to learn from your own mistakes, raise your hand. Yeah, that's a shame. It is. It's a shame. I've always been more of the second kind. I'm finally learning to be more of the first kind. We want to learn from other people's mistakes or we will be doomed to do those things ourselves and suffer the consequences for them. And that is what Jude is talking about. Okay? I'm not saying that to, to call anyone out or make you feel bad. I'm saying I'm like you too. The natural human condition is to not believe what we're told, not believe other people's experiences, not believe what God said. Hath God really said? And then we fall for these lies. Let's learn from other people's mistakes. What did this unbelief look like that they were destroyed for? I want to I camp out here just for a minute, okay, or, or maybe two, <laughs> and, and just consider this because it's important it's important for us to identify what the problem was here, okay? Firstly, the people of Israel, they could continually see with their two little eyes God manifested as either a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire right in the middle of their camp. So it certainly wasn't a question of God's existence, okay? Pretty much all of them had witnessed the, the, the Lord's salvation through the exodus, including the ten plagues, and, and they'd seen the Red Sea part, and they'd walked across on dry land, so it wasn't a question of belief in God's power or, or his protection on them in the past. And they had a, a consistent, miraculous food source that would just appear on the ground every morning in the wilderness, except on the seventh day. So, so it wasn't a question of whether they believed in God's uh, care for them necessarily or his his provision. So what does Jude mean by they did not believe? Why would he even use the word belief? Since the people of Israel, they could see him with their eyes, they could hear him with their ears, they, they satisfied their bellies with food from heaven. What does it mean they didn't believe? Why is Jude bringing this up? He's bringing this up because biblical faith produces a response. Remember, even the devils believe there's one God. But they are terrified of him. And that knowledge is not going to save them from their hellish fate. So what is the proper response? really very simple. We find the answer in Psalm 106, verses 24 and 25 that we already read. So why don't we go back there? First we read, they despised the pleasant land. That was the promised land. Having no faith in his promise. So, so they didn't believe in God's promise. Think about that. 
They didn't accept that he had their best interests in mind. And that means they doubted the goodness of his character. And or they didn't accept that he had the power to overcome the inhabitants of the promised land, even though they'd already seen him annihilate the Egyptians. So in order to actually believe in a biblical sense, they needed a magic ingredient, which is what, Ron? Trust. Which is trust. In church, we must trust the Lord. We need to believe that Jesus Christ really did pay for our sins on the cross and that we need to believe that there is nothing that God cannot forgive. We need to accept that that He has both the power and the kindness to save us in spite of our sins. Now, the other part of that response, which Israel failed at, is evident in the next verse. They murmured in their tents. I realize I didn't have it, even though I pointed, sorry. They murmured in their tents and did not obey the voice of the Lord. You know, friends, the obvious next step of faith is to walk in the Father's will. I want you to hear this. We are justified, according to Romans 4, we are justified by faith apart from works, but biblical faith results in works. Okay, we cooperate with the Lord from the point of our justification through the process of becoming like Jesus until we are with him in eternity. If we want to obey God, that's really the only way to experience the fullness of salvation. Trusting and obeying, is that, that is what real belief in the Lord looks like. I mean, clearly, true, true belief leads to trust and obedience. It will be imperfect, okay? It's not going to be perfect. But hopefully, it's always going to be improving. If there is no fruit of salvation, then why would we assume salvation is there? Or even that it's occurring. Now, thankfully, God's salvation under the new covenant means he puts his spirit in us. We have that wonderful advantage that the Israelites in the desert did not have. They may have had God right in front of them, but they didn't have God in them. And we have that, friends. We Christians have that. We have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. And that means when he puts his spirit in us, that means he can help us to overcome our our fleshly pride and our cowardice and our lusts and our, our, our laziness. But we must still, listen, we must still be vigilant to strive for that trusting obedience and to help one another do the same. This is what we're called to do. There's a scripture that speaks to this. Uh, It's a passage of warning. There's a few of them in this book. It's from the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. And remember, this this is written to Christians just like you and me, okay? It says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our original confidence firm to the end. 
As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who led Egypt, left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that he would not enter his rest? They wouldn't enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient. Hmm. So we see they were not able to enter because of unbelief. Very interesting. The word disobedient in Greek is so similar to the word unbelief. They're so tightly connected. I think that's powerful. I'm going to say this today. If you're convicted by this message, I challenge you to allow the Holy Spirit to produce something in you that is necessary for God's word to take root in you so that you will bear the fruit of faith, and that is repentance. You need repentance. All of us need repentance. It's both a one-time thing that God begins in us, and then it's something that we continue to do throughout the course of our life. That is what progressive sanctification looks like. It's repenting daily from sin. It's turning more and more toward Christ. It's that, that picking up the cross. But it begins with a change of mind and heart that brings us in line with God's will. And, and I, I want to just say that this is a result of faith. Listen to me, please, listen. Don't wait too long. Don't wait too long. We don't know how much time we have. And at the end of Romans, excuse me, Numbers 14, this is after God was fed up and he, he told the people they're not going to enter the promised land. Then the people decided to go anyway, right? You remember this? Against God's judgment, against what he told them to do, and God didn't go with them, and they were miserably defeated by their enemies. So if you hear God speaking to you, don't put him off. Don't say no, because you don't know whether you'll have a chance to say yes. Receive Christ today and trust and obey while you still have the opportunity to do so. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your precious word. I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak to your people and to hear the truth, Lord, uh, of your word. There's so much here, God. Just, just one verse of Jude brings up all these things, Father, because your word is so deep. It's, it's so much more. Your, your moral character is as high above ours as the heavens are above the earth. We need to understand your character in order to better understand what your will for us is. And God, I pray that you'll give us openness to that truth so that we don't turn away from it. Father, I do know that there are people, Lord, even here in this, this church body who have not yet obeyed what your word says, have not placed their faith in Christ, have not been baptized by immersion, have not uh, professed faith uh, with their mouths, have not walked in obedience. I pray, Father, for everyone here that you will convict them of what they need to do, Lord. We know, Father, that it is your grace by which we are saved. And Lord, I believe your word even teaches that you give us faith. But Father, we, we have to grab a hold of what you give, Lord. I pray that you give us that ability to, 
to cooperate with your spirit so that we might take steps in holiness and in sanctification. Save the unsaved, Lord, and sanctify the saved in Jesus' name.